everyone, and welcome to the Legal Matters Podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors. I'm Jana Gardner, here as always with my colleague Dana Spears. Hello, everyone. We are lucky enough to have a very special guest joining us for the podcast today. That's right. Our guest today is Allison Richmond, staff attorney with the Californians for Home Ownership. She's going to talk to us about the current state of housing development laws in California and the role that Californians for Home Ownership plays in promoting development by keeping an eye on local governments around the state. I'm really excited to talk to Allison, so let's get right to it. All right. Well, we are honored to be joined today by Allison Richmond, staff attorney with Californians for Home Ownership. Welcome, Allison. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Really excited to talk to you guys. Yes, thank you so much for joining us, Allison. We're so happy that you're here with us today. And why don't we get right into it? Um, let's start with the basics, Allison. What is Californians for Home Ownership and what is its relationship to California Association of Realtors? Californians for Home Ownership, uh, we're a nonprofit that was formed by CAR and we receive most of our like operational support and financial support from them. We were founded in 2018, basically because CAR has long been a supporter of policies that uh, aim to increase the supply of housing. And they decided that they wanted a organization like us to come and address the housing crisis through litigation, legal education, and trying to actually get those laws that uh, they passed actually working to create more housing. Mm -hmm. uh, we primarily focus on litigation against cities with restrictive land use practices. I actually started as the, uh, uh, the Equitable Access to Housing Fellow, and now I work as a staff attorney. Excellent. Well, sounds like you have a lot of expertise in this area. What can you tell us about the current state of California housing law? So California housing law is complicated because obviously housing needs are statewide concern. People live and work and travel all over, but land use authority is distributed among 500 or so local jurisdictions. And that basically can create a lot of barriers to new housing. Mm -hmm. So we've seen a lot of cities in the past use subjective policies or to delay or deny projects just because they don't like them. So in um, 2017, continuing through today, the legislature has started enacting large-scale housing law reforms to increase the supply of housing and address the housing crisis. And uh, many of the changes that we've seen recently have limited the discretion of cities to deny certain housing developments that meet certain objective standards. But just because the laws are on the books doesn't mean they're being complied with. So the legislature specifically stated that housing organizations like California's Promote Ownership have standing to sue to fight local anti-housing policies without waiting for state enforcement. So a lot of the tools are in place, and that's where we and other organizations doing similar work come in. We make sure that laws enforce and support the production of housing. Mm. So there's a lot going on in a lot of areas. What kind of work do you focus on specifically? Yeah, so California's firm ownership in general has been involved with monitoring compliance with various state housing laws. We are really involved in reviewing specific local ADU ordinances a few years ago. We're always checking for compliance with um, other state housing laws like the Housing Accountability Act, which is the state's landmark housing law. We've been involved with various lawsuits interpreting that law and making it clear that 
these laws are actually meant to limit the discretion of cities and provide predictability. But recently, we've been focusing a lot on housing elements because it's a time right now when cities and counties are required to update them to conform to recent changes in state law. And housing elements are a specific part of a city's general plan. It spells out basically the governing policies and rules related to housing and zoning. Okay, so can you explain a little bit to us about how the the housing element process works? Yeah, so every city or county has a general plan, and part of that is their housing element, and it's kind of the roadmap for the city's plans and housing availability during each cycle, which is generally eight years. So these housing elements have to be done every eight years, basically taking stock of what you've done before and how that's worked or hasn't worked, and then what you're going to do in the future. And a very important interconnected piece to this is the Regional Housing Needs Allocation Process, RHNA, often called RENA. Uh, You'll hear that being thrown a lot thrown around a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, You'll hear that being thrown around a lot. Uh, Every cycle, basically, regional housing needs at different income levels are assessed, and each jurisdiction is allocated arena number, which is basically its fair share of the overall statewide housing need. And while the city isn't required to actually build the housing, they have to update their housing elements to make sure that they have the ability to accommodate that much housing. And they have to analyze current development policies and available sites. They have to make sure that their policies and their zoning is sufficient to meet the projected housing needs. And this process has really been in place since the 80s. We are currently on the sixth cycle. Uh, for most jurisdictions. But until recently, it was basically just a formality where cities just made general statements. There weren't really punishments for not Mm -hmm. complying. But the rules have changed dramatically for this current cycle. Um, Now, cities have to actually demonstrate how they are going to meet their arena. They have to analyze constraints and they have to identify specific sites for housing. And if they cannot identify adequate sites currently, they have to rezone. They have to change their zoning to allow additional housing development. All this is overseen by the State Department of Housing and Community Development, or HCD, which reviews each housing element for compliance with the law. But cities are also subject to judicial challenges by the Attorney General's office, as well as by organizations like Californians for Homeownership. And what are the implications for cities that are found to be out of compliance? So if cities don't have a compliant housing element, they are ineligible for a number of state programs and grants. But the main penalty that has been talked about a lot recently is the so-called builder's remedy, which requires non-compliant cities to approve certain mixed or moderate income housing developments, even when they do not comply with general development standards. Obviously, there are exceptions and limits to this, but in general, cities lose a lot of their discretion to deny housing developments. Mm. Basic idea is that if a city has failed to enact clear, reasonable policies that are meant to actually facilitate housing development, they shouldn't be allowed to reject applications. They are not doing their fair share to Mm -hmm. help the housing crisis. And so this cycle is really the first time we're starting to see this play out. Uh, Developers seem more willing to submit these kind of applications. 
And it'll be really interesting to see what the results are and what actually gets developed over this next cycle. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that one of the things Californians for Homeownership does is get actively involved in these situations where a city isn't in compliance. What kind of cases has Californians for Homeownership been involved in? Over the last few years, we've been focusing a lot on housing element compliance, and we've been monitoring various cities, analyzing housing elements, looking for trends of things that we think cities are doing um, that do not comply with state law. We have filed over 20 lawsuits based on non-compliance with housing element law. We've settled a lot of them where cities are willing to commit to certain timelines and they basically just agree to follow state law, which we usually include in any settlements of recognition that the city is subject to the builder's remedy until it comes into compliance, which again is just state law. Mm. (laughs) It shouldn't take a lawsuit, but sometimes it does. And for example, we recently got a decision um, in our case against Beverly Hills, which found that the city's housing element was not in compliance uh, for a number of reasons. It included bad sites that were not actually realistic. It used uh, assumptions for capacity that didn't make sense, and it vastly overcounted the potential for housing. So basically, when you looked into the actual housing element, they said that they were able to meet the arena, but they didn't really have the evidence to back that up. Um, Their calculations didn't really take into account reality, (laughs) is what we like to say. But recent changes to housing element law have specifically targeted these bad behaviors and have tried to make sure the housing element actually means something. So they require cities to be realistic and back up your numbers with actual analysis and evidence. And we are suing certain cities like Beverly Hills and others that are trying to not do that work because a lot of cities are doing the hard work in, in mm-hmm. rezoning and doing what they can to facilitate housing. So we want to make sure basically everyone does their part and cities shouldn't be allowed to just ignore parts they don't like. You've had a number of successes in that regard, right? Yeah, we have. Um, Like I said, we've settled a fair amount of lawsuits and we um, are in the middle of others and we won another case recently against La Cunada Flint Ridge, um, which has a non-compliant housing element, but failed to rezone enough land to actually meet their arena. So we're looking at housing elements from a bunch of different angles um, and targeting various ways that we find cities are trying to get around these laws. Because the entire arena system and housing element system requires every city to do its fair share. And our goal is to make sure that's actually true and make sure that cities can't get away with just what they've done in the previous cycles, which is just say that they are going to build housing, but not actually change their land use policies to back that up. All right. So I know a lot of our members are really interested in these issues. How can they get involved? So a lot of cities are currently going through this process, and it includes usually multiple drafts and revisions and back and back and forth with HCD. And all of these drafts are public and um, they they have to have a way for the public to provide public comment about the housing element, sending their thoughts, their feedback on what they want the city to do. Housing elements are also adopted publicly at city council meetings. So 
it's important that you pay attention to your local city council agenda, see if it's on there, and you can make comments at public hearings, or you can even send any comments you might have directly to HCD. Uh, but also, if you have clients or you know someone who might have a potential site where housing could be built in the future, depending on how the specific city feels about development, it could be a good idea to reach out to local planning departments to work with them and possibly be included in the housing elements inventory of sites, or just in general to consider other opportunities that exist for housing development. Because like I said, there's a lot going on right now that makes mm -hmm. it so developers have a lot more leniency, especially in these cities that are not complying with state law. But I think the most important thing at the end of the day is just to be a voice to support policies that develop more housing, which I think we can agree is something that California needs more of. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, that is so much wonderful information. Thank you so much, Allison, for joining us today and telling us so much great info about Californians for Home Ownership. Yes, thank you. We really appreciate your being here with us today. And hopefully you'll join us in the future for further discussion on this issue. I look forward to it. Thanks so much. Thanks. So this wraps up another episode of the Legal Matters podcast. We want to thank Allison again for joining us. And remember to go to ca4homes.org for more information on her important work. And of course, thanks as always to all of you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed all of our episodes so far. If you have enjoyed them, the best way to make sure you never miss an episode is by subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And while you're there, feel free to leave us a review and maybe even a five-star rating. Those reviews and ratings can help other folks find the show. You can also reach out to us here at the podcast directly by emailing us at legalpodcast at car.org. Finally, don't forget about all of the ways CAR Member Legal can help you stay in business and stay out of trouble. Of course, CAR members can call the hotline with any questions or issues at 213-739-8282, Monday through Friday, 9 to 6, and Saturday, 10 to 2, for transactional questions. Our other informational and educational materials can be found at car.org under the Risk Management section. Head over there to check out our Q&As, quick guides, webinars, and more. Join us again next time when we'll discuss the most important new laws you need to know for 2024. Thanks, everyone. Bye.